Hi, this is Big Talk. Michael Glab here. My guest this week is a person who took a long and circuitous path to get to what she would be as an adult. Her name is Rachel Perry. She was, in a way, an historian of Indiana. Can I say that, Rachel? Yes, uh, an art historian, preferably. An art historian, but as I say, that wasn't something you jumped into when you were 17 years old, uh, art and history and all the rest. In fact, I read that you were a farrier, and to tell the truth, if someone had put a gun to my head and said, what's a farrier? Well, I would have said, shoot away, because I have no idea. Okay, a farrier is a horseshoer. Um, a lot of people confuse the word with a furrier, which, of course, would have been somebody that had to do with animal furs. But a farrier is a horseshoer and distinguished from a blacksmith. A blacksmith actually um, exclusively handles a hot metal. A farrier, some people say, will go to hell because they sometimes hammer cold metal. So in other words, nowadays, they have what are called keg shoes, which are shoes in certain sizes that are pre-made. Huh. And when you shoe a horse, of course, you have to make a few adjustments depending on that horse's hoof. But a lot of, a lot of farriers will just hammer on cold metal. And now some years after putting metal on horses' feet, Yes. or hooves or paws right. or whatever we want to call them. You have come out with a new book and it is not your first. This is about, uh, I'm going to say your fifth book. Would I be right? I think probably seven, maybe. Seven, my goodness. This new book, Painter of the Dunes, A Life of Frank Virgil Dudley. Uh, Frank Dudley was a fella who painted and had a lot to do, in a way, with the history of this state. So we're going to get into that. But first, I want to I want to take I want to take us down this this long circuitous path. When you were still a farrier, you went for a drive near the T.C. Steel historical site. What happened? Okay, so I, I had um, built a house further down the road in Brown County, and uh, there was a, a large tree that had fallen across the county road. And everybody, if you know the T.C. Steel site, there's a circular driveway that, that um, goes through the entire site. And everybody was using that driveway to, to circumvent the, the downed tree on the county road. And when I got to the front gate, there was this little man standing there in a suit. And uh, he waved me down and he said, uh, can I have a ride up to the house? And I said, sure. And he hopped in and, and he said, well, I'm the new curator of the T.C. Steel State Historic Site. And I'm looking for someone to work here. Oh. And so it was kind of a slow, it's, it was in the late fall. It's a slow time for farriers in Indiana. A lot of people pull the shoes and don't ride their horses in the winter. So I just said, well, yeah, I can do that. I can work for you. And so that was the beginning of my 
26-year career with the um, museums and historic sites. So, yeah, the T.C. Steele site combines both history and art. And basically, was that your first in-depth dive into those topics? I wouldn't say completely because I... Uh, I was always interested in doing art myself and making art. So I had taken some art classes at the Unitarian Church and things like that. I I read a a quote where you said the sense of the place was magical. The T.C. Steele site. I still think it is. And right now, uh, of course, it's a very magical time in Brown County. It's like a fairyland. With all the all colors. The- it's just yeah. amazing. It is. And, and the critters are all out yelling at each other saying, hey, I want a date. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> well, uh, as, as you say, you said you have uh, been involved with uh, some seven books, and I've got some titles here. Here, here they are. The Life and Art of Felrath Haynes, From Hi. Dark to Light. Right. William J. Forsyth, The Life and Work of an Indiana Artist, Paint and Canvas, a biography of T.C. Steele and the Society for, of Western Artists. These are books written by our guest, Rachel Perry. And then you also wrote one called Children from the Hills, The Life and Work of Ada Walter Schultz. Children from the Hills, interesting topic. What about it? Ada Schultz was one of the first artists to come to Brown County in the early 1900s with her husband, Adolph. And all, all of the, most of the Brown County artists were from Chicago. Adolph Schultz came down here in this one spring about this time of year and went back to Chicago and reported about this fabulous fairyland where everyone could come and paint in the summer. <laughs> so, Several artists came and and started painting in the summer, and then it developed into the art colony. Well, Ada, all of the artists, almost all of the artists, just painted landscapes. And I'm not I'm not saying just painted landscapes, but they were much more interested in painting what they call in plain air or on location, and painting landscapes. Whereas Ada was interested in the children, and she started painting children with their barnyard pets. There were very charming paintings and, and uh, that's how she painted. So that, that book was actually my master's thesis. When I got my degree at the university of Oklahoma in museum studies. You mentioned that uh, many of the Brown County artists uh, were from Chicago. And interestingly enough, uh, Frank Dudley lived most of his adult life in Chicago. He he was born, by the way, in Delavan, Wisconsin, 1868. He lived until 1957. His parents were deaf. Yes. Yes, that's a very interesting, I thought a very interesting thing about him because it may have made him more oriented toward uh, visual communication. Of course, he he learned to sign at home, but his grandparents could hear. So he, he learned to speak um, through his grandparents. 
But there's another artist in Brown County now, and I don't think I'm talking out of school. His name is Tom Robinson. He had deaf parents as well. And um, he told me that that part of the challenge was, um, of course, he's he was much later than Dudley, but he would have to do all the negotiations on the phone with the bank or, you know, the realtors or, you know, all the business that came on the telephone. He would have to sort of translate for his parents. I don't of course, Dudley's parents didn't have telephones, but I'm I'm sure that he might have had to become more mature more quickly. Those gorgeous Indiana dunes along the southeast shore of Lake Michigan at the end of the 19th century, beginning of the 20th century, there was creeping industrialization and people started getting worried that, you know, big factories were going to displace the dunes. And they were indeed doing that. Ah. Even as early as 1906, they, uh-huh. uh, that's when uh, Gary, Indiana was established. And it was an ideal place for industrialization because it was kind of centrally located, easy transportation, lots of water, a good workforce. And so the dunes quickly were disappearing. Even now, The last time I was at the dunes uh, was a summer, maybe about 20 years ago, and we were jumping into the water and trying to climb the hills and all the rest. But there's still that big, ugly uh, uh, power plant cooling tower that just sort of looms over you there. Absolutely. It was a shock when I first went there, too, because I was used to Brown County and walking around in the woods and not seeing anything that that was like that. It really was a shock when I first went there. Frank Dudley ran an art supply store in Chicago where he lived, and his brother Clarence got involved with some people. Clarence was um, Frank's brother, and he was a photographer. And he had been going to the Indiana Dunes and um, wanted Frank to come there. So he took him there in 1908. There was a a hiking group from Chicago. It was called the Playground Association of of Chicago. And there were something like 338 people on that hike, which just amazed me. Wow. Yeah. So if you see pictures of those hikers, the women all had uh, ankle length dresses on and (laughs) shawls and but anyway so frank went along and he really wasn't that impressed with the dunes the first time he saw them no kidding Um, yeah it was all it was about three years later when he went on his first date with his second wife his first wife had died oh um that that he um he kind of started getting a feel for the dunes and then there was a big pageant in 1917. And that pageant was what really turned him around. And it was all about um, saving the dunes and preserving the dunes. And it was, it was sponsored by several organizations. And while he was living in Chicago, he set up his studio in a cabin on the dunes and went there to paint. Yes, he built his studio in the dunes after he won a medal, the Logan medal at the art Institute of Chicago (laughs) and got enough money 
he got enough money from that and selling the painting and two other paintings to be able to build this cottage in the dunes. And he stopped having his, his uh, framing and photography shop after that. Now, I had to laugh when you mentioned the Logan Medal. The Logan Medal was uh, partially given by the Art Institute of Chicago to artists for their contributions in the arts. And there was a Logan family who had set up the Society for Sanity in Art. Sanity in Art? What was that all about? Well, there was a lot. There were a lot of artists who um, were adamantly against abstract art, and so they they claimed that art that was more representational or realistic was much more sane than art that was abstract and and wasn't as easily accessible to the general public. Frank Dudley has many, many, many paintings of the dunes what else did he paint if anything well he he painted exclusively the dunes once he became obsessed with them but you can find other paintings that he did before that he did do i've seen i he did do a painting at turkey run there's a big sort of a canyon in turkey run he also painted there's a big bend in the Ohio River near Hanover campus that everybody, all the artists paint. because Oh, they, it is absolutely gorgeous. I have been there. Yeah, so he painted that. I've seen other paintings that he did. But then a lot of his Dunes paintings even are more specific about particular plants and um, particular places where they, they don't just have um, sand dunes in them. <laughs> Now, why, why Frank Dudley? What inspired you to say, this guy needs a book and I'm the one to do it? This particular book is part of the Indiana Historical Society's Youth Biography Series. I had done one about T.C. Steele and had talked to the editor about possibly doing a Dudley book. The Indiana State Museum, where I was the fine arts curator, has about 55 Dudley paintings. So I became more of a Dudley fan after looking at those for quite a while. At first, I wasn't really that taken with Dudley. I was really used to seeing T.C. Steele, more impressionistic paintings, more loosely rendered. Dudley's things are, if you don't look at them closely, look very simple, large color blocks. and But the thing is, his shadows... Um, may have as many as, you know, seven or eight or nine colors in, in them. They're, 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 they're deceptively simple looking. Well, there are these uh, bright colors of, of sand at the yeah. dunes. And then there's sort of a scrub, which uh, creates shadows uh, depending on the sun and, and the cloud of that day. And yes, there's a great variety of colors that can be gotten in what at first glance would appear to be just a monochromatic scene. Exactly. And the other thing is, um, because I'm an amateur painter myself, I went up there to try to paint. And if you paint what you see, what you see is this very, very bright sand. And the contrast with the shadows is amazing. The shadows look almost black. <laughs> 
well, if you paint it that way, it is really going to look dorky. You have <laughs> You have to learn to handle the values, and it takes a lot of experience painting there to be able to do that accurately. Now, as you mentioned, uh, you were the fine arts curator for the Indiana State Museum. You did that from, it looks like, 2003 to 2011. Well, that's not your only job. For a while, you were uh, the chief curator for the state's historic sites for the Indiana Department of Natural Resources. Later, even on, you became the director for Indiana State Historic Sites. Well, you've been around. Well, well, it was a perfect example of the Peter Principle, if anybody listening (laughs) is old enough to know what that is. Yeah. It's it's, uh, being promoted to your level of incompetence. (laughs) And so I was clawing my way up and got to that place where um, I had, uh, at that time, there were 16 historic sites and uh, 92 buildings with backed up sewers and leaky roofs, 60 employees all over the state. And I was miserable. I just really did not enjoy doing that. I have a big respect for administrators. So you don't consider yourself an administrator? Oh, absolutely not. I'm I'm (laughs) terrible. I cannot hire hire people. I can't do any of those things. Uh, it was it was awful for me. It really was. Yeah. You say you're a painter. Well, how often do you I, paint? I'm I'm not really painting now. I'm I mostly do ceramics and lino cuts. So I've sort of moved away from actually painting. You have to paint all the time to be a good painter, and that's true with these other things too. But I, there, it's more somehow more of a relaxing creative outlet. A lot of the people that I know who wanted to be painters essentially stopped being painters because they couldn't take a lot of the fumes from the substances oh. that you have to work with. Well, that's interesting. I, of course, I was mostly painting outside, so uh-huh. It wasn't too much of an issue. But, but you had to clean your brushes, right? Well, that's true. Yeah, but they have like really good stuff now. They have turpentine that doesn't smell and all sorts of things. Won't get you high. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Why did Frank Dudley, he became quite well known in the Midwest, but why didn't he get a more national reputation? Wow. That's a question that I usually get about T.C. Steele. And the answer would be that they, they stayed in the Midwest. <laughs> Wait, is it, is it sort of like that, that East Coast bias type thing? Absolutely. Yeah. It still exists today. I mean, well, I, I can't really say that because you can do so many things online now yeah. that it's, it's way different. But there is, there is a... Um, you know, if you're not on either one of those coasts, you know, there's a good chance you're not going to be um, that NPR is not going to report on you. <laughs> well, you know, I'm holding uh, the book Painter of the Dunes, A Life of Frank Virgil Dudley, written by our guest this week, Rachel Perry. I'm holding the book in my hand and the cover of the book has a picture of Frank Dudley and the thing, the thing that struck me about it, he, he, here's a guy with sort of tousled hair, 
got the old wireframe glasses. He's smoking a pipe. He's got a palette in one hand and a paintbrush in the other. And it just screams Midwest to me. He doesn't look like one of these uh, esthetes, uh, one of these sophisticates from uh, Manhattan. Yeah, and it's, it's kind of interesting. He was, of course, a later generation than the Hoosier group. But, but even um, in the day of the Hoosier group, which would have been the really early 1900s, they, they would go out painting with like, you know, a white shirt and a string tie. And huh. they, they, they were much more formal looking, not saying that they, I mean, they were Midwestern, but, but um, just the whole sensibility of going out to paint was something that was considered much more professional. By about 1931, the state had taken ownership uh, of the dunes he still wanted to remain there in his studio. How did that work out? So when the state took over the acreage to make this, the Indiana Dunes State Park, they um, allowed the people who had cottages on the dunes to keep, to keep coming there and paying rent every, every, every year until they, until they were deceased. In other words, they were kind of grandfathered in. Yeah, but, that, but Dudley made a deal where he would give the state of Indiana one painting each year instead of paying rent. Well, eventually, after 19 years, his paintings became so much more valuable that it became more cost effective for him to just go ahead and pay the rent instead of giving them any more paintings. What training did you have? to become a writer or historian, or was it just OTJ? Yeah, I would say, I would say on the job training, although, you know, I've always been interested in writing as far as keeping a journal and things like that. But I must say that I was raised without television. My father was the founding director of Indiana university press. So we, I was surrounded by books and learned to read pretty early, and there was always an emphasis on academics. Indiana University Press, a big going concern to this day. They're putting out books every year. Yeah, they put out about 350 a year now. Oh, my when he was When he first started the press, they, they were lucky to get three, three out each year. <laughs> How long ago was that? Um, he came here in 1950. Herman Wells, who was the president at the time, wanted to have a university press. And my father was in publishing in New York, and he couldn't get a job because his father was ac accused by Joseph McCarthy of being a communist. Wow. And so Herman Wells invited him to come out here to Indiana. Of course, he thought he was going to the end of the earth. <laughs> um, well, it was at that time, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's how he ended up here. Well, Herman Wells is re responsible for an awful lot of things. We know how hard it is to get books published. Did you ever be tempted to go to Indiana University Press and say, hey, you got to publish my book? My dad started you, for God's sake. Well, it's interesting because he was already 
deceased when um, I was actually approached by one of the regional editors to write a book about T.C. Steele. And so that's when that first T.C. Steele and the Society of Western Artists came out. So I was still working as a fine arts curator at the time. But I'm happy to say that it had nothing to do with my father's affiliation with the press. <laughs> that, that would be embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> any books in the pipeline or any ideas that you're going to start a book soon? I have a few projects that are, are pending, but mainly like every other baby boomer, I've been writing more personal stuff. I'm just not sure I want to join the legions of people that are trying to get their memoir published, but it's been a cathartic uh, experience to be writing more personal things. It's way, way different than writing. The kind of things I've been writing have been journalistic, if you know what I mean, yeah. where you do a lot of research and then just kind of stitch it together. Whereas writing from your, your own experience can be, you know, there can be a lot more emotion involved. <laughs> yeah, it, it seems as though everybody and her sister, everybody and his brother are writing memoirs these days. Yes. But I remember maybe one of the first big memoirs that came out in the early 1990s, and I read it and I loved this book, was Mary Carr's The Liars Club. Mary Carr's a wonderful writer, and she also has written a book about writing, which is yeah. one of my favorites. She, I, I highly respect her. You can have these great memoirs that really are illuminating and tell a story about the human condition. And then you have other memoirs, which is like, okay, I'm going to go to sleep now. Well, I think a lot of it has to do with how universal the message is. Yeah. And how, how smart the, the author is. How, yeah. It's, it, that's, a, that's a tall order. So what are you more, a, an artist crafting things, ceramics or drawing pictures, or a writer? Or does it even matter? I would say more of a writer, but it's interesting when you have a lot of creative outlets. You can't really pursue them all, all the time. So, you know, with COVID, I don't know why, but I just couldn't, I just wasn't that interested in writing. I was a lot more interested in, you know, things that, that were, that I could, like the ceramics, something that I would, could feel and see and touch. Fortunately, my guest this week, uh, Rachel Perry, Rachel Berenson Perry, was interested enough in writing to complete the book, Painter of the Dunes, A Life of Frank Virgil Dudley, a fellow who uh, painted fabulous pictures of the Indiana Dunes, now a national park, by the way. That was published by Indiana Historical Society Press. Rachel Perry, thanks so much for being on Big Talk. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate you taking this time. <laughs> <laughs>